Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast, your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tiger Athletics. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. Welcome back to Go Tigers 247's Tigers in 20. My name is Kenny Stubblefield. I'm the lead digital content creator for Go Tigers 247. And I am joined by Brooks Hansen, the founder, the owner of Go Tigers 247. Brooks, what's up, man? You are the lead and only digital content creator for Go Tigers 247. Have you ever thought about that? I am the only, but I'm hoping that's not the case for very long. I, Let's go. We, we have a dream to build a build out a digital content team and... I am putting it out there into the universe. It's going to happen one day, Brooks. Well, you are, you've already started making the connections, started talking to people. Let's just fingers crossed, knock on wood, don't jinx us. But yeah, you know, we want to we want to build out our digital content, audio, video, photography, social media presence, uh, and you are just the start. The start. So yes. You asked. You are the genesis. <laughs> Listen, come on. Well, Brooks, it's been a minute since we've actually had a chance to jump on here. Not that we haven't been doing podcasts because we've been doing podcasts, but um, we've been doing a lot of off-the-board stuff, interviewing people, um, a ton of football content coming out. But we wanted to jump on here today and and discuss a few things. So in the first segment, we're going to be talking about football. The second segment, we're going to be talking about basketball, Memphis Tigers basketball. So um just looking forward to that as you look at the breaks and all that kind of stuff in the podcast, you'll know kind of what the segments are going to be about. But we got a lot of football stuff to talk about, Brooks, man. What's been going on? Yeah, so Ryan Silverfield and his staff uh, have been completely revamped in terms of uh, the support offensive and defensive staff. I think everybody has seen what happened there with uh, Tim Cranzy coming on board for the offensive coordinator spot. Uh, we broke that down um, extensively. And then Matt Barnes from Ohio State coming on board for the defensive coordinator spot. Uh, in addition to that, there have been, uh, there's been some movement with some of the support staff in terms of grad assistance and some of the, uh, you know, just the guys that make the, the well-oiled machine run behind the scenes. Um, but on top of that, Ryan Silverfield has pulled off one of his, the best recruiting classes in the history of the school period. Like not just for him, not for the last decade, but for the school period. Um, so two, four, seven sports does not take, uh, the transfers into account with the recruiting rankings yet. Is that correct? And accurate? No, I don't think it is. Does it change the overall outlook for every team in the country if we took that into account for recruiting rankings? Yes, but do I think that Memphis, Memphis's class is better on paper than what our current rank for them is? And I think the last time I checked it, the rank was 62 or 63. Um, Right. Do I think that Memphis's recruiting class for the 2022 class is better than we show them on paper? Absolutely. I think Memphis went out and got positions of need. 
They got high-level transfers that can help right away, and that's what you've got to have. You cannot have duds from the transfer portal, uh, and I think that they went and got some dudes that can do that for them. Um, so overall, Ryan Silverfield and staff coming off of a high of uh, what what I believe the staff feels like is a, a win-win on both coordinator spots and hires, and then a massive haul for them with – uh, their recruiting class. So, um, you know, that's all great news for Ryan Silverfield. Now it's all just leading up to spring practice and the spring game, you know, the the blue and gray game. Isn't that what they call it? Yes. I thought so. Just making sure. You know, I'm still I'm still new to this whole football thing. Like I'm like ex- I'm like a baby. I'm like a year in. Is that cat <laughs> years? Am I like yeah, you're seven. you're seven you're seven years in now. Even though it's only been one cat years wise, it's seven. I'm getting there. Yeah, you got I'm it. getting there. Um, but yeah, man, now now Memphis turns it, its sights to the class of 2023. Just had a big push of offers and visits for 2023 Junior Day. Um, actually, you know, already have dudes knocking on the door wanting to commit to Memphis, and Memphis is still in the process of evaluating and trying to figure out what type of commits they want to take for that class. So uh, whenever I say that commits for the 2023 class could start any day now, that's legitimate. Like legitimate, uh, it, it could happen any time. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of the Memphis staff deciding like, hey, this, this, you know, we've, we've, we're done with our evaluation. We feel good about these dudes. Uh, we're, we're willing to pull the trigger on a committable offer and, and to let these guys pop. So uh, you know, after finishing 62nd overall in the 247 Sports team rankings, uh, again, do I think that Memphis is class is overall better than that with, you know, some of the transfers that they got, like Jay Ducker. Like, I fully expect Jay Ducker to come in and make an immediate impact for Memphis right. in the backfield. Tyler Murray is just – here's what I love about Tyler Murray. Stats don't lie. And I'm sorry, but if – if you're putting up the kind of numbers that he's put up at every stop that he's made, those stats don't lie. It's going to translate at some level, you know, when he steps up to the University of Memphis, it's going to translate. Um, so I productivity wise, I think Tyler Murray will be one of the most productive transfers that Memphis has. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they feel good about some of those dudes including Joseph Skates, who's another big transfer for them. But who we're, Joshua, hearing, we're hearing amazing things about Joseph Skates, right? Yep. Like he's killing it. Yeah, already on campus, already getting his workouts in, already starting to kind of like get himself acclimated and already putting himself on the radar of the staff. And then you throw in, you know, the, the early enrollee, true freshman like Joshua White, who we're hearing rave reviews about. You, you've got to be excited going into spring football if you're Memphis. Um, so that's my recap of how I feel like this Memphis staff probably feels and and, and what their uh, winter, December, and January has looked like. Uh, what about you, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, everything seems to be positive right now. You know, when you have a big changeover in staff like the Tigers had to, I mean, they didn't just replace ancillary support staff. They did have to do that to some degree, but they changed out major pieces of the staff, the offensive and the defensive coordinator. 
And uh, and a lot of times when you have changeover like that, you start to see players that were on the team the year before decide to not return or to, to, to go elsewhere. They don't want to have to learn a new system. They don't want to have to learn a new coach or learn how to mesh well with their new coordinator. They don't want to have to do that. Yeah, it's a time to level set and kind of hit the reset button. Right. It's an easy time. It's an easy way for a player to say, listen, man, I've been here for three years, four years. It's time for me to hit the reset button and dip. That's not happening a lot right now. There's a lot of players, a lot of seniors that could leave that are coming back for their last year of eligibility that I think a lot of us are surprised by. Um, You know, Quindell Johnson being one of them. Him coming back is a huge, huge play for the Tigers. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, let's call that what it is. It's a huge recruiting win for Memphis's staff for 2022. You might as well call that a recruiting win because Absolutely. in the day and age of the transfer portal, you are constantly having to recruit your own dudes. And for Ryan Silverfield to be able to go out there and convince the top-tier talent on his team returning, and not even just seniors with an extra year of eligibility, not even those dudes, like just like some of your best sophomores. Guys who could go pro if they wanted to. Guys who could enter the draft. Heck, I'm hearing there's a ton of dudes that redshirted last year uh, that were freshmen who were going to play right away next year and make an impact. Even those dudes. Even those dudes because they have they, they didn't waste a year of eligibility. They have the free transfer. They could go somewhere. They could go work out on a campus and, and get a look. And, you know, they could take a visit. And I'm telling you, the the fact that Memphis had very little to no transition might be the biggest news and the biggest win for Ryan Silverfield in the entire offseason. Absolutely. Um, so I agree with you. It says a so, lot about it says a lot about the culture. You know, Ryan Silverfield talked in his last media availability about building a culture, about setting a culture up at the University of Memphis inside the program. And he talked about how he has to have those conversations with players and staff and support staff from the top down on a daily basis. He said, gone are the days of being able to dip out for two weeks on vacation after the after the bowl game is over. Those days are long gone with the transfer portal, with the uh, early signing day, with all those kinds of things. Gone are those days. But he said, he mentioned something, and I thought it was so interesting how he talked about having to, on a daily basis, reaffirming the culture that he is trying to bring to the University of Memphis. Like, what is the Ryan Silverfield culture in the football program? And I think that all those wins that you are starting to see, the transfer, the transfer portal not hitting the Tigers hard in terms of players leaving – players wanting to come to Memphis, the recruit, the, the 2022 recruiting class, getting guys like, you know, veteran football guys like Matt Barnes and Tim Cramsey to come to the University of Memphis. All those things are indicative of, of a culture that he has built there. And I think it's a massive feather in the cap for Ryan Silverfield. This offseason has been nothing but wins for him. I do want to correct you. You said veteran football minds, and you named Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes is, like, super young, and I would not call Matt Barnes a veteran 
uh, <laughs> football mind. But, and I only say that because I know somebody else will call you out in the comments if Listen, I don't. There's a difference between eight. Veterans does not mean age, right? Veteran means experience to me. And, and you're going to tell me that he didn't get incredible experience at Maryland and at Ohio State, that he's a veteran. I hear you, but he's 35, first-time true coordinator. Uh, you know, while he did get to play call uh, call plays at Ohio State, he was not truly the defensive coordinator, and that's just a technicality because really on paper, you know, it may not have been on paper, but in reality he was. But he's 35, you know. I'm, I feel young still, and I'm 39. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the year of my 40th birthday. Hey. And I, yeah, it's it's the year of waking up and realizing like, hey, why does my wrist hurt and why does it pop whenever I put it down to stand up out of bed? Uh, <laughs> Matt Barnes is not there yet. He's still a baby uh, compared to me. All right, well, I'll, I'll, your point is taken. Um, but he's still of- a win for Memphis. I, I truly believe that. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So now, now all eyes turn towards my 40th birthday and – the spring game on March 20th. So uh, we actually have a ton of plans to, uh, you know, with Christian out and with with us trying to, you know, step in for him, we have a ton of plans to try to step up our coverage and and give Memphis football its, uh, you know, its due desserts. Is that, is that a saying? Due? Due desserts? Um, it's due diligence. How's that? Due, nah. Give Memphis football its – got to leave this in here. Give it what it deserves and the attention it deserves. I don't know. There's a saying there. <laughs> that, that I think you said it. That's perfect. Yes. We're going to do what Memphis football deserves, and we're going to cover the crap out of uh, spring camp. Uh, anything that we are allowed to be at, we will be there. Uh, we will be creating uh, the elite of the elite digital content thanks to – Kenny Stubblefield right here on the podcast. So stay tuned. Um, I, I do think I'm excited about what we have planned to cover spring football. Uh, we're even going to, I don't know if you guys remember, our career retrospective with Brady White that we did. Uh, Christian sat down with Brady White to go over his entire career. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite pieces of content we've ever done in absolutely almost 13 years of doing this. And we plan to do similar things with some of the the guys that are currently preparing for the 2022 NFL draft uh, from the Memphis Tigers. So look forward to that. We will be covering extensively uh, the Senior Bowl and what happened uh, with Dylan Parham and Calvin Austin down at the Senior Bowl talking to some of the nation's leading experts in terms of draft and NFL coverage about those guys. Super excited about what we have coming up on the horizon for Memphis football. So, Kenny, before we take a break and transition to basketball, do you have any last thoughts uh, on Memphis football? I just think Memphis is in a Memphis football is in an interesting place, and I think it's in an exciting place as they move into spring football with all of the competitions that are going to be happening um, during spring football, you're going to see a lot of things starting to flesh itself out. You know, a, a quarterback competition between um, uh, Grant Gannell 
and Seth Hennigan. You're going to see which receivers are going to take a step up. Um, is the offensive line, have the needs of the offensive line been been met? What is the defensive line going to look like? How, how are the offenses and the, the offense and the defense going to um, learn a new system and who, which players are going to step up? Like those are all questions that I think are going to start to be answered. And I, I think it's just an exciting time. Like competition is a good thing. You know, um, Coach Silverfield even said it in his media availability that every um, true player, every player needs to have competition, that every roster position is a competition. So um, I'm excited, man. Spring football is going to be fun this year. There's going to be a lot of really cool stuff. And I'm excited about it. It's it's the year of the questions. And they're exciting questions. They're not, it's like not, you know, you, you right. kind of say like, oh, there's a lot of question marks around that dude. It's not that type of question mark. It's a like, you know, what what are we going to see out of this? There's so many positions, so many coaching, you know, you know, so many system stuff, so many things that are just undetermined. And like the potential outcome for all of them is exciting. Like it's legitimately exciting, especially when you consider that Memphis, you know, lost four games by a combined 13 points last year Crazy. and finished with a record of six and six. You know, you flip those, yeah. you know, it's just the little things there. Those, I mean, there were legitimately games that were just decided by one call or one misplay or whatever. I mean, just the the. I think I got you to put this clip in there before the any given Sunday, the inches, right. the right man. It's it, it to me. It just feels like Memphis was just inches away from being like ten and two. I know that sounds crazy, and I, you know, I'm hopeful. So one of the questions that I I constantly throw around in my head whenever I'm looking at college basketball hot seats, whenever I'm looking at Memphis's own programs, football, basketball, you're sitting here telling yourself and asking yourself, where's the hope? Like, does next year, does it present itself as possibly better than this year? Is there hope on the horizon? And I think if you look at the outcome of last season, along with what they've that the wins that they've had in the off season so far, there's a ton of hope and excitement on the horizon for Memphis football. So I agree 100%. I can't say anything more. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about what we've got coming for football. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side after you hear back from our robot sponsors and we'll talk Memphis basketball. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, Kenny, that was a very positive, uh, happy 18 minutes. So let's carry that over here, talking about Memphis basketball. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever seen the scenes of Ryan Reynolds where they like take all of the movie clips where somebody is trying to either force feed him a spoon of cereal or soup? It's like in all of his movies. Have you ever no. seen that? And he like turns his head. It's like he does not want to. It's hilarious. <laughs> so they like, I'm being, it's so serious. There's so many scenes in Ryan Reynolds movies where he like, it looks like he is rejecting a spoonful of cereal. <laughs> like he is refusing to take something that everybody loves. Right. right? He's like, it's almost like he just can't accept something that would be so good and happy and delicious. So he turns his head and rejects the spoon. <laughs> I'll post it on my Twitter in, in, with no context so that those who listen to this podcast, you can see it and laugh at it. But that is one of, uh, that is my metaphor for today. I'm going to accept my medicine. I'm going to take this cereal. I'm not going to be Ryan Reynolds. I'm going to take something that is is good. It's positive. It's yummy. Everybody wants to talk about Memphis basketball in a positive light. So let's do that today. I, I want to talk about. So, Kenny, I, I need to clear something off my chest. I need to get off my chest. I think people think I want to be negative. I don't. There would be nothing in this world that would make me happier than to see Memphis basketball with Penny Hardaway at the helm win a national championship, to succeed at the highest level, uh, to be the next Coach K at Memphis, um, because it would be tremendous for the university. It'd be tremendous for Penny Hardaway's legacy at the University of Memphis. It would be tremendous for the city of Memphis. So I, I desperately want to be positive and have a positive outlook about things going on. So we're going to, to do that today. We're going to, whenever I said, where's the hope, we're going to find all of the things to be hopeful for and about as a Memphis basketball fan with, um, I believe, eight official games on the horizon for Memphis basketball. Let's walk through the current outlook for Memphis basketball, uh, 20 games in, and we've got Tulane, Houston, Cincinnati, SMU, Temple, 
Wichita State, South Florida, and then to finish the season, currently number six overall, Houston, at home, at the FedEx Forum, uh, to finish the Tigers season. So, first of all, positive. Memphis appears to be getting healthy at the right yes. time, which is, to, to Penny Hardaway's credit, a great thing because when you do have your full roster, you have your best players, you should be able to play your best players uh, the most minutes. And if you're playing your best players the best minutes, I mean the most minutes, then you should be winning games, especially when you have the talent that Memphis has. So uh, they have a chance starting on Wednesday night to avenge themselves uh, against a few opponents that deserve a a little bit of a payback. Uh, Tulane being the first of those. The Tigers went down to New Orleans earlier this season in January. Uh, or was it late December? I think it was late. It was actually the last game of the year, wasn't it? They went down to New Orleans. The 29th of December. Lost to, yeah, a 4-6 and six Tulane team by one point. Uh, in a game where they they struggled, they kind of trailed the entire game and made a late push in the final couple of minutes and just fell a little bit short. Um, in that game, they were missing some of their key players. They were not healthy. Uh, they went down there without... Uh, it was DeAndre Williams was out. Right, DeAndre Williams. Yes, DeAndre Williams was out, and Jalen Duran was out. Two of their best post players. Uh, now, did that seem to affect things in the final stat line for Memphis in terms of post play? No, they out rebounded Tulane forty to twenty. It wasn't like Memphis was hurting on the block. Uh, what they could not do, though, is stop Jalen Cook, who is in my opinion, the best guard, and I will put him up against anybody, the best guard in the entire American. Jalen Cook is a pro. Um, If I'm forming a team from the American, I'm going out and getting Jalen Cook. He is that good. Yes, he's very, very, very talented. To be a freshman, (laughs) he is... He is everything you could ask for and more from a guard, especially in the American. So, for me, the positive outlook is that now that Memphis has two of its best post players back and Josh Minot is playing the way that he is, you have Jalen Duran and DeAndre Williams patrolling the paint. What that does for Memphis with Jalen Cook, even though Jalen Cook is a six foot one guard, is that it allows Memphis's defenders to play more aggressively on the perimeter, and it allows them to funnel Jalen Cook in ways that they now have their true and best rim protectors in the game. You know, a true rim protector changes everything. Just think back to the way that Kentucky used Anthony Davis and Nerlens Noel, and even the way that John Calipari used uh, Joey Dorsey at Memphis, and even Robert Dozier. Uh, Everything was funneled. Everything 
the the guards' defense was based upon the ability of their centers or their post players to be able to to essentially erase their mistakes. And Memphis now can make mistakes on the perimeter in defending guys like Jalen Cook, um, like even like Sion James and right. uh, with uh, Kevin Cross. You know, Kevin Cross is he's. He's not like a guard, but he steps out. He pulled Memphis defenders out of the paint, and Memphis on its switches. When Kevin Cross, you know, sets a screen, and Memphis switches, and now you've got uh, maybe Lester Quinones on a six foot eight Kevin Cross. Memphis, Lester Quinones can can make mistakes, and Jalen Duran will be there to erase it. And to me. That's that's a lot of what Memphis can hang its hat on going into Wednesday night in in, being, in terms of being hopeful of you know getting one back against Tulane. The other thing is like Tulane is not going to shoot ten of twenty two from three. They're not going to shoot forty six percent from the three point line. Memphis's three point defense against Tulane was just atrocious. So, um. They they can rebound the ball against this team. I think Memphis is bigger. I think they're better. I think they have more talent. And Memphis is healthy. So it starts on Wednesday night against Tulane. Kenny, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, specifically with, you know, if we're looking at, at Wednesday's game against Tulane, the only shooter of substance for Tulane that you, you absolutely need to be pressed up on is Jalen Cook. He's, I mean, he's scoring. I mean, he's hitting at a forty-three percent clip right now from the three-point line this year. Um, he's so good. He's a Jalen Forbes is no slouch though. Jalen Forbes. Jalen Forbes can shoot. Absolutely can shoot against the Tigers in December. He didn't have a great game. It was. I mean, it was. Yeah, he can. He can play it was though. Kevin Cross. Jalen, Jalen it was Kevin Forbes. Cross and Jalen Cook that put Memphis in a in a tough bind, and and. And I think again, you know, there is, there's been a lot of of conversation around the Tigers this year and what's going on and 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 you know unmet expectations. I think, but it is a legit thing to say that these last few games, when they've been trying to get players back from injury, has been, has taken a toll on what they can do on the defensive end of the floor and on the offensive end of the floor. When when DeAndre Williams and Jalen Dern are out there playing, everything is different for the Tigers. And then you add in Landers Nolly to the equation. You add you add back in. Um, you you allow the players to to then become to kind of move back into the place that they're supposed to in terms of their skill set. Um, the energy is just different. And so obviously against Tulane in December, they didn't have either one of those guys plus Am- they didn't have Amani Bates. And I, I don't think that Amani will be playing on Wednesday against Tulane either. But um you know, with your the idea of having DeAndre, Josh, and um Jalen patrolling the paint gives you and, and I agree with you it gives the guards the opportunity to make to take more risks right like like in the fight game right if you are if if you know that 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 the person that you're fighting is somebody that is a 
is quicker to the punch, is somebody that has longer arms, longer reach, um, has a different a, a style that is difficult to stop. A, a lot of times, what you're going to do is you're going to try to counter the moves that they're making, and you're going to kind of shell up and not take risks, right? Because because you know that if you overextend yourself, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get knocked out. The same can be true in basketball in that if you know that you don't have the backline protection that you need, you have to kind of shell back a little bit and take risks, go under screens instead of going over screens. You have to, you can't extend into passing lanes or, or you, you have to basically kind of shell up and try to keep people out of the lane. Well, now in this game on Wednesday, you're going to have Jalen Duran and DeAndre Williams and Josh Minot patrolling the paint. And so I think I think you're a thousand percent right. Alex Lomax, Lester Quinones, Landers Nolly, um, other guards that are going to be playing, they're going to be able to take a step out. They're going to be able to pressure the ball more. They're going to be able to get out to to to, to pressure the three point shot because that in that game against in December against Tulane, that's it was the three point shot that got that hurt them so badly. Um, they were hot. Tulane got hot. They saw a couple of a couple go in, and it was a wrap. You know, it, the, that's that's just what happened. Well, that and Jalen Cook just straight line drives, like just beating dudes right. off the dribble and getting to the rack and finishing. And you know, I'll be just straight up. If Jalen Duran is in that game, a lot of those straight line drives happen. or finishes at the rim, they're not no. as easy. They they may he may get there. Now, do they all go in? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And does Jalen Duran get his hands on some of those shots? Absolutely. So that's a game changer for Memphis. So that's a positive. That's something for Penny Hardaway to be hopeful about, to be excited about. Having him back and having a chance to get one back against Ron Hunter and the Tulane Green, Green Wave on Wednesday night. So then you have a chance to come out and prove yourself. And I think that Penny Hardaway's kind of tenor from the media podium, from his media availability, is like he's looking forward to the opportunity to essentially assert that what he said in that, you know, F-bomb tirade was legitimate. You know, this is Penny Hardaway's chance to say, see, I told you, I told you so. And yes, maybe I got upset. Maybe I went off and I shouldn't have. Maybe this, maybe that. But I didn't have my full roster, you mother And I tried to tell you that without my full roster, it's tough. But if I have my full roster, I can do almost anything I want to. And not only did I go and I beat a team that we lost to without my full roster, but we went to Houston and on national TV, on ABC, we beat the number one team in the conference and a top 10 team overall. So screw you guys. I have my full roster now. I do what I want. That's that's what Penny Hardaway has a chance to and do. And if here. that happens, Brooks, talk your shit, bro. Say whatever you want. I'll be honest, Penny. If that happens, yeah, like thump your chest. Absolutely. Talk your shit, like Absolutely. You know, it is what it is at that point, and it's a tough spot for him to be in. I get it. Um, 
And and it's 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 a big opportunity for Memphis. Like, and here's the thing that that does. It then after that six games remaining. Well, let's not forget the Cincinnati game on the fifteenth. Well, I mean, the, that's one of the six. And if you win that, you go and you beat Tulane at home. You get that game back. You tell yourself, okay, we lost to a team in conference before, but we have our full roster now, and we we you know we beat them. And then we went to Houston and beat a team that we tried to beat three times last year and couldn't do it. And they're top ten in the country, number one in the conference. We beat them. Six games left. Memphis and Penny Hardaway now have the ultimate confidence going into that final stretch. Now, is it tough to go three straight on the road against three of the top teams in the conference, one of whom already beat you in SMU? Yes, that is brutal. But if you win at Houston, you can certainly win at Cincinnati. If you win at Houston and Cincinnati, you can certainly win at SMU. Now, you know, it's it's those final three games of the year that regardless, or four games, final four after that. So uh, regardless of what happens, once you finish with Tulane, Houston, Cincinnati, and SMU, you've got Temple, Wichita State, South Florida, and Memphis. I mean, uh, and Houston. Only one of those is on the road at South Florida. You have to win those four to give your team the confidence it needs to go into the AAC tournament. And if Memphis happens to pull off that eight-game stretch of 8-0, and there is no team that will have the confidence and the type of momentum going into the AAC tournament that, than Memphis. Like they, they will not have there, – there will be no other team. Memphis will have beaten the top team in the conference twice. They will have beaten all of the top teams in the conference above them in that stretch. They will be healthy, theoretically, and they will be riding the confidence of you know their their head coach now being completely justified uh, for himself in his comments that he made back in January. It is. Honestly, it's set up as a do-or-die type of situation. I actually, uh, on Sunday, my son plays 10U travel ball, and we worked on outfield do-or-die situations. Game is on the line. You've got a you know ball that gets through, maybe a line drive or a ground ball that comes to you, and you're sprinting to that ball, max effort, going straight through the ball with your glove, on your glove hand side, and coming up just firing. That's where Memphis is right now. They've got nothing to lose. It's either you make the play, you win these games, or to me, it essentially feels like the game is over. The season is potentially over at that point without some sort of miracle. You know, like if if Memphis goes four and three, I mean, four and four in that stretch, or, you know, even six and two in that stretch, their their chances of a an you know automatic I mean a, uh, an at large bid is out the window you know it's already slipping away and you've got to win the conference and if you go six and two and maybe lose to SMU and uh, or Houston Houston and SMU you don't like necessarily feel great going into the conference tournament that you can win it right is that just me yeah I mean I don't think. 
Disagree well, with me here. Make make me more positive. No, I, I don't think that's a negative thing that you're saying. I, if you lose to SMU and you go zero and two versus SMU, that's a that's that's going to be demoralizing. But I would say this: that SMU game in Memphis was the Tigers at the lowest of their low, right? Like that was nope. Everybody was hurting. There was a lot of turmoil and tension around the program during that time. They were in the midst of a um That's the press conference. Was game. that the press conference game? In- Everything kind of Yeah, that's the infamous Yeah, that was they were in the middle. Game. They had just lost to UCF and East Carolina on the road after losing a buzzer beater at East Carolina right. and they have to come home and they're beat mm-hmm. up. It's late on a cold night. The crowd doesn't really show up. Memphis is struggling and they lose to SMU. Right. After being up right. early, like they they struggled to score early, and then they got they came back and took a lead, right? right. And just couldn't couldn't. Well, they, I don't know if they came back and took a lead. They came back and got it within nine, seven, something okay. like that. They were SMU was up. I, I think they didn't. I don't think Memphis scored in that SMU game until like they had two points in, with like twelve minutes left in the first half. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. They came they they brought it within 5 and then 2. Okay. In the yeah, I don't half. I think That's it was a wire wire loss to SMU in that game. But yeah, it If was. you look at it, I mean, think about it last year with the Tiger team and and the Houston games. They lost to Houston three straight games and all of them were very very close. You had a buzzer beater in Houston, you had um a I can't remember the game that happened in in Memphis was it it was a very close game I think they lost by two or one and they came into that season into that tournament um, the AAC tournament believing that they could beat Houston and then they lost to Houston again in a very close game again so to me the Houston games are at this point kind of a no-lose type situation to me if you come out and you play the way that the Tigers know that they can play when they're at full strength. Because let's be honest, Brooks, that the Tigers' talent from top to bottom, when they're playing and they're healthy and they are together and the energy level is high, they're a tough out against anybody, I think. So if you come out and you play Houston, at at Houston and then back in Memphis to close the season out, and you play them well, I don't think you walk away from that with a loss and say w- w- demoralized. Now, it's those other games, right? Like it's the SMU game, it's the Wichita State game at home, it's the Cincinnati game. Those those are the three to me that those are the must wins. They they have to win those games. The Houston games to me are kind of like man, we know that we can match up against these guys. We know that that let's be real, this team, this Houston team is not as good as last year's team. We know that. Um, but they're also number six in the country, and their defense is insane. So we're going to continue to – we're going to play them hard, and if we lose, we're going we're gonna to fight them to the death and try to win. If we lose and we play them well, confidence is still high. It's the Cincy game, the, the, Cincy game, the SMU game, and the Wichita State game, to me, that are those games that – if you can't beat those teams, demoralized, I think. Well, so 
let's rewind back to 1992, 1991-92. This is why the Houston game is the crux for Okay. So I'm going to take Memphis back to Memphis State. I'm going to take Memphis back to Penny Hardaway days. Four times in one season. Going into March 29th, 1992, Memphis had played and lost to Cincinnati three times. And in an extremely rare, uh, you know, rare, very seldom happens, like, circumstantial thing, Memphis played Cincinnati four times in one season. Oh, man. On March 29th, Memphis lost to Cincinnati for the fourth time in one year with Penny Hardaway uh, on that squad, playing against Nick Van Exel and that team. To me, I remember those teams. And I remember how it felt like Memphis was just cursed against. I remember Cincinnati. that they were yep. so physical, so dominant in the paint. Was that and, the Danny Fortson team? Nick mm-hmm. Van Exel, Danny Fortson. Yeah, so physical, and it just felt like Memphis. No matter what happened, Memphis could not beat that yep. team. Now, fast forward to 1993. Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Face off against Cincinnati, who was in the top five, and beat Cincinnati, finally getting that bugaboo off their back, beat them by two, 68-66. And to me, it feels like this is that game. Right. Now, maybe it's not this the first of the, the two matchups. Maybe it's the one at home. Maybe it's the final game of the year. But Memphis has to be able to shed that we can't beat Houston mantra that's certainly building in their head. Like, when you lose to a team three straight times, when you start those losing streaks, it's hard to get out of your head. Um, I know that from being a coach. I know that from coaching my kids and from seeing the way that those kids respond to a loss and or responding to playing a, a certain team multiple times. Um. We can have the best game of our season, face a team that we're better than, but that they, they present a matchup problem for us, and our kids would get in their heads. It happens at all levels. And for me, I want to see Memphis come out and be able to assert that level of domination in that matchup against Houston to be able to say, we can beat this team. The team that everyone else believes is number one in the conference, we can beat this team. Not only can we beat this team once, we can beat them twice. And if we beat them twice, we can certainly beat them a third time. So I think Memphis has a lot to prove in the way that they play that first matchup. And if they don't get that game, you know, coming up later this week, after the two-lane game, if they do not get that game, if it does not go in their favor, they have to win that season closing game against Houston at the FedEx Forum. Well, and right now, history's on their side because they've already done that this year against Tulsa, right? They've, they've beat, yeah, they've beat I mean, Tulsa like, twice yeah, this year, and that, to me, is the team that you talked about our roster is better. The We should be able to beat them, but something was going on. I mean – I'm looking back at the Match schedule. Wise or mentally, last yeah. year they lost twice to Tulsa. Um, 
uh, last uh, the year before that they lost. I mean, they had that huge 40, 40 point loss to Tulsa. Um, they came back and played Tulsa. I think they only played Tulsa once uh, in two thousand nineteen, and they lost that game by forty points. Penny has had trouble with Tulsa throughout his career, and they beat them twice on the road and at home. So he's already got that monkey off his back this year. Now it's Tulsa, or now it's Houston, right? Now he's got two more games with Houston. Yeah. Yep. So let's do this. Let's go through these final games okay. and answer that question. Is Memphis better than that team? Should they win or can they win? And let's just look at what the outlook looks like. Tulane. Memphis should Absolutely. win that game. Memphis is better than yes. Tulane. Memphis is at home. They owe Tulane. They have their full roster. M- Memphis should win that game. Houston. Memphis can beat Houston. Absolutely. Memphis matches up fav- favorably against Houston. Um, especially given the fact that you know Memphis overall has you know a better interior um, than than Houston. I think Fabian White and I think Fabian White uh, is going to give problems. My solution to Fabian White is to put Josh Minot on him um, because Fabian White loves to play on the on the perimeter. That's where he does a lot of his scoring damage. Yeah, no, Fabian White and Josh Carlton definitely pose matchup problems for right. Memphis and overall. Like, they are talented. Do I think that Memphis overall has the players and talent that's better than them added up in the post? Absolutely. Um, I think when your second leading rebounder on, on, rebounder on your team is a guard uh, in Kyler Edwards, that Memphis matches up favorably against Houston. I think Memphis has the shooters to be able to match up with Houston. I think Memphis has the guards, the the guard situation with Houston. They don't have that prototypical small six foot, six foot one guard that's going to give Memphis's guards problems. Like Jalen Cook. Well Marcus Sasser was um, that guy, but obviously Well he yeah, he's out. So can Memphis win that game? Absolutely. Memphis has already proven that they can beat Cincinnati. Is that game going to be wild? Yes. You know, with Cincinnati trying to do their whiteout and their retro uniforms. By the way, I don't know if you've seen those. Cincinnati, I, I want one of those. I haven't seen them. Like, I, I want a T-shirt version. I'm not a Jersey guy. Uh, I don't think any adult over the age of 25 should be a Jersey guy. But uh, <laughs> that's neither half, our, half the listeners uh, on this podcast just went, boo. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I want a t-shirt version though, just because they look that awesome. Like I want to create a Memphis version of Cincinnati's white throwbacks. They they say the cats on them. They look. They they've got like a super sweet script on them. It's like they're they're like they're lettering. They've got a little sheen to them. They look nice. But should Memphis win that game, or can they? Yes. Can Memphis beat SMU? I think the fact that Memphis was nine minutes into that game with two points and they lost by one or no, lost by eight. Lost by I'm eight. Sorry. Lost by eight. Lost by eight. Tells you that Memphis can win that game. Right? Yes. Memphis can beat SMU. Memphis talent wise is better than SMU. And overall, 
SMU, after playing Memphis, has not looked great. They barely beat Temple. They got absolutely demolished by Wichita State. Um, and between their last game and when Memphis plays them again, they've got to face off against uh, Houston. So potentially a demoralizing game for for SMU. Now, could it be a momentum builder for them as well? Yeah. But then they've got to go and play a Temple team that played them tough the time before. So, But Memphis can beat SMU. So they can beat Tulane. They can beat Houston. They can beat Cincinnati. They can beat SMU. They should beat Temple. They should beat Wichita State. I think it's already proven Memphis is better than Wichita State. This game's at home. Memphis absolutely should beat South Florida. I'm going to stay positive. If there's something crazy that happens at South Florida, at that point, it's going to to be hard for me to be positive. Uh, something Memphis should win that game going away. And can Memphis beat Houston? If they're going to do it out of those two games on the road or at home, the final game of the season on March Dude. 6th, 12 p.m. That will be 12 the game. 12 p.m. At CBS, on CBS. That game is going to be – the atmosphere inside the forum is going to be wild. Y'all don't listen to Kenny. Don't show up an hour late. That game is at 11 a.m. on CBS. Oh. Show up early. Oh. Don't show up late like Kenny's trying to tell you to do. Why does our board but have that, it at Eastern Standard Time? Why are we Eastern Standard Time on the on the Go Tigers? We're Central. Send it to the developers. Okay. I don't know, Kenny. Sorry. <laughs> but in a world of can and should, Memphis's outlook for these final eight games can and should be positive. Penny Hardaway's outlook for these final eight games of the regular season can and should be positive. So... Here's my encouragement to myself. Here's my encouragement to Memphis fans listening at home. In spite of what may have transpired throughout this entire year, it's tough to say, you know, oh, well, you know, these excuses are valid because there are so many of them, but they are. If you try to remove the, you know, any sort of frustration or bias that you may have, if you remove that from the situation, you ask yourself, is it legitimate that losing three of your best players in a stretch of games and losing those games, is that a legitimate reason for losing those games? The answer is without bias, without frustration running through your veins, the answer is yes, that's legitimate. Excuses suck and nobody wants to hear them, but they can at times be very legitimate. And I think that with the excuses now removed with momentum potentially on their side. Memphis has every right and reason to go out, win eight straight, and go into the AAC conference tournament riding a wave of momentum that no team in the AAC can match. If they do that, Memphis fans will have a ton of reason to and a ton of response when someone asks, where's the hope? And that's all you got to look for. That That's it right there. So my hope is that Memphis comes out, 
takes care of business against Tulane and that we can take this thing one game at a time and continue that over each game like we just did. Uh, because I'll be honest, this ain't no fun. Dialoguing with Memphis fans, dialoguing with a message board, and and having to corral some of the most negative times that I've seen in my 13 years of Memphis coverage. It's not fun. Like, let's get back to winning. Let's get back to being positive. Let's get back to being hopeful. Um, and if we can do that, uh, you'll see a happier version of me for sure. I, I want this thing to get right. So eight games, let's do it. Can you? What, what do you got? What do you? No, think? I, I mean I 100% agree with you. Honestly, think we should end the podcast with that last bit. But I'll ask you a couple of questions, um, and then we can kind of dialogue on that, and then we'll be done. But who are the players? Give me two players that from the beginning of the season to now are going to help that have been the biggest surprise to you or are going to be the main players that are going to provide that hope and possibly really impact these next eight games, nine games for the Tigers. Yeah, I think without a doubt, my number one, is DeAndre Williams. Everyone, and I know that sounds cliche, because he was one of the top returners. Uh, he's Memphis's second leading scorer, only by the narrowest of margins behind Jalen Duran. But you see it in their their last game against East Carolina. I mean, UCF. Uh, uh, UCF. I'm confusing all my acronyms and everything right now. Against UCF. It's not even about the final box score. DeAndre Williams could could have fouled out of that game. He finished with four fouls, and he could have had four points, but the energy he brought to the team in the opening minutes of that game is what made the difference. Absolutely. And is is DeAndre Williams a little out of control? And by a little, a, a little, I mean a lot, yes. Is he a little bit like, is it like constantly watching a squirrel that was maybe fed some amphetamines? Like, yes. Like, I feel like I'm watching a dude who's like on the verge of just like straight up running up, you know, into the crowds and just leaving the stadium. Like, that's how much energy and passion he plays with. It's not, I'm not saying it's mental, like there's anything mentally wrong with him. I'm saying he cares. DeAndre Williams cares so much, and you don't realize how much a team misses that until you see them without <laughs> it, and you're like, does anyone even care? Let me speak to this for a second. When, Especially at home games, because I'm I, my seat is literally right next to the bench. And I'm telling you, man, I don't think that – I don't think that people – who aren't as close as I am to the Tigers bench can understand how true what you're saying about DeAndre Williams's impact on the team is. It is not about the box score with DeAndre. The fact that he is an effective and impactful player for the Tigers 
is a byproduct of the energy level that he brings. There was a point in the UCF game where I think it was in the second half, um, the Tigers were up. I cannot remember exactly how much the Tigers were up going into half, and UCF made a slight run to bring it back within five in the second half. And DeAndre gets fouled going to the basket and he turns around and looks at the bench and screams, what the F are we doing? Screaming like at the top of his lungs, they called a timeout. They came out and the Tigers blew the doors off of them for the rest of the game. Yeah, they were up nine on a Darius Perry uh, layup. UCF cut it to two. Was it to two? Or one. Was it to, one? Yeah. 36-35. He, DeAndre Williams went to the free throw line and made both free throws. Yes, it was before that. There was a timeout during that, before those free throws when he got fouled where he lost his mind, and not in a negative way, but it was like a, a, a call of like, this is not enough. This is not good, what we're doing here. And you need guys like that. You need a DeAndre Williams who can say, what the F are we doing here? And it, he is such an impactful player for the Tigers. When he wasn't playing, his energy level even on the bench was effective during the Cincinnati game. Uh, Brooks, you remember that clip that I sent you? Mm-hmm. He is constantly communicating, constantly talking, constantly coaching, coaching up Jalen Dern in that game with some of the best advice I've ever heard an older player give a younger player. Um, incredible stuff, man. He is he is a fantastic asset to the Tiger team. Memphis went on to score 42 points. After that foul, in the final 16 minutes. Crazy. 42 points in 16 minutes. Yeah. So, DeAndre Williams, number one. Um, And there's no way you can talk about, like, and and this isn't a surprise to me, uh, but there's no way that you can talk about beginning of the season to now and without saying anything about Josh Minot. Um, Josh Minot is a pro. Um, Josh Minot is, in my opinion, the most productive and consistent freshman uh, to be the leading scorer in only, what was it? 14, 14 minutes, minutes, 18 points. And, you know, his productivity, it, and it's not even just, you know, it's not Mm-mm. points. It's deflections. Yep. It's blocks. It's steals. Um his hands are it's, incredible for a freshman. And, you know, I, I, my opinion on the progression, it, you know, is different than some. And, you know, I, I do think that um, I disagree with some of the comment commentary that I've seen around Josh Minot, that he's just gotten better and that he's learned. And, that you know, I think that it was just a mistake. And that's okay. Like, John Calipari – did not use Tyreek Evans the right way to start the year. It was the trip to Puerto Rico that really turned 
around the way that John Calipari used Tyreek Evans. And John Calipari completely admitted that uh, he was wrong in the way that he used Tyreek Evans. And I think that this is just a progression of figuring out what this guy brings to the table, what he does well, and how we can use him. And now that, I mean, to be fair, now that Penny Hardaway has figured it out and Josh Minot is being put in positions to succeed, it is, I think, the uh, the perfect way of saying this is that Josh Minot just oozes talent. Like, and his his play on the court, the productivity and the box score, it's like you can see that slime, that ooze of Josh Minot all over the Memphis Tigers box score. You know, it's like everything that he does trickles down and sticks to everybody else on that box score. It's like the blocks, the rebounds, the assist. Um, you know, if there was one player that I was going to say, like maybe was going to be a triple-double threat going into the season, I would say Jalen Duran. But I think now, any given night, like it could be the night that you see Josh Minot get a triple-double. Like I, I would not be shocked. I mean, in 14 minutes, Brooks, um, against UCF, he had 16 points. So I'll correct that. I said 18 earlier, 16 points, three rebounds, two of them being offensive. He had one assist, two steals, two blocks, two for two from the free throw line, and only one personal foul that wasn't actually a foul. And I'm not looking at it, but can you correct me? Zero Zero turnovers. turnovers. And, And here's the other thing. If Josh Minot can continue that, now that's a, that's a magical type of night. 14 minutes, 16 points in that box score, that's not going to happen very often because typically players need minutes for production, right? However, if Josh Minot can somehow, and if Penny Hardaway can somehow figure out a way to get that level of pro- productivity, like that you know, productivity per minute, coefficient for Josh Minot if he can get that metric dialed in and if he can you know play Josh Minot in a in a certain amount of minutes and get that level of productivity you know your the bang for your buck productivity wise is right there with Josh Minot there's not a player on this Memphis roster right now that impacts the game per minute the way that Josh Minot does period and this is not my statement to try to convince anyone of anything related to Josh Minot, I think the stats speak for themselves. I think the productivity on the floor, when you watch it, speaks for itself. So, Can I give one more? Uh, Can I add a player? Those are the two. Those I'll are the add two. one more player yeah, to that, that equation. Um, I have been pleasantly surprised. And my, my opinion of this player has changed in terms of what he's effective at, what he can do for the team. And that's Tyler Harris. Um, I know the conversation has always been around Tyler is, around this team in particular, has been who's the starting point guard. I'm not for Tyler being the starting point guard for the Tigers team. I think Alex and... um, Earl fulfill those roles to a degree, but Tyler is an extremely effective player when he plays. Um, 
he's doing more on the floor now than what he's done in the past. What what his role, and I think a lot of, I think he was pigeonholed into this, and I think sometimes I think even um, his skill development dictated this role was that he was a gunner that would come in. He was the 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 shooter that would stretch the floor out and get some buckets for you. Um, and he is over the last few games, over the last probably six or seven games, has proven that his game is more developed than that. Um, he sees the floor really, really well when he's the main ball handler out there or, or when he's out there handling the ball. Um, he is extremely effective on fast breaks, leading a fast break. Um, when he pushes the ball up the floor, he is not looking for a shot. He's looking for an open player. And you saw that at least three times um, against UCF. Um he led the Tigers with five assists against UCF. And three of those assists were no-look bullet passes into the paint. Two of them were to Josh Minot. Um, he has become an extremely effective player. And if you look at I – know, I know the main thing that has been the issue for a lot of Tiger fans is, you know, the productivity that it gives you on the offensive side of the floor, does that – supplement or negate the deficiencies on the defensive side because Tyler is a smaller player that gets picked on in the post if he's guarding a bigger player like you saw it in the Cincinnati game they tried to post him with um they tried to post DeJulius on him um they tried to there's a uh is it Micah what's his name Micah Adams Woods is that his name they tried to post Micah Adams Woods on him a few times um but he has become, to me, over the last – when Alex went down with the ankle injury, Tyler asserted himself as a very capable um, ball handler distributor for the Tigers. And I think that he is proving himself that he doesn't need to just shoot the ball to be effective. He is productive. Over the last seven games, right. Tyler Harris is averaging – a 2.7 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Which is ratio. very good. Yeah, uh, that's that's a that's above average. That's a good You plus. want a 2 for 1. Call 2 for 1 like is high. ideal. Yeah, anything over that is is very good. Um now it's not elite, but it's very good. Um and here's the thing. He's been effective for Memphis, been one of the leading scorers for Memphis in each of those games. In his last, uh, let's see, I believe it's seven games. Let me just list off his points, his point production. 20, 15, 13, 17, 24. Now the game against ECU at home, he didn't need to do it, so he didn't. And he was off that night. You know, you could see it. Like, I think he jinxed himself on the coach's show. He talked about, like, you know, man, it's just like I go out there and I expect it to go in, but some nights you just go out there and you you kind of feel it and you you know your shots is like broke that night, and it's that was like literally the the Monday night before that ECU game. So three points that game, and then fifteen points in seventeen minutes. So productivity per minute, just like Josh Minot is there, and I think Tyler Harris, like you're saying, has figured out 
how to impact the game for Memphis in a positive way, and you look at his last two games, he's two for 12 right. and three, and still, right. and still highly effective for Memphis. He was 6-11 overall from the field, yet one of five from yep. three against UCF. And I'll say this, Tulane better watch out because you you are not holding Tyler Harris two of twelve for very yeah. long. He's not gonna he's not gonna have a, a stretch of games where he his shots broke, so to speak. He he just isn't. He is a shooter, and he's gonna shoot his way out of it. Whether it's against Tulane uh, this week, whether it's on the road at Houston, he will shoot his way out. And I'm on 100 with you, Tyler Harris is a completely different player today than the day that he left the University of Memphis to head to Iowa State. Completely different yes. player. Uh, in a very, very surprisingly great way. I I cannot I, – I actually probably need to apologize to Tyler Harris. Like, I'm sorry. You are proving me wrong. And I love it. I love watching – you go out there and play and bust every stereotype that I thought I had for you. Um, so that's all I've got. Kenny, you got anything else? I know you said you wanted to ask me some questions, but that was, that was one. one question. Uh, that's the question. We'll end it there. It's It's been a long podcast. Listen, I am, I am excited. I, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful. You talked about hope at the beginning of this segment which was like an hour ago, but you talked about hope and, and I think that there is reason for hope. I do think that the Tigers getting healthy at this critical juncture in the season is critical and key for their success moving forward. And if you, if they go on this stretch, these eight games and, and they, let's say best case scenario, win all of those games. There will not be a team outside of maybe Auburn <laughs> in the country that will have more confidence than than the Tigers will walking into the AAC tournament. So um, I agree with you, Brooks. And, man, after, other than that, man, I'm done. I'm good. I'm going to say two more things since you brought it brought up Auburn. One, Memphis shouldn't feel so bad about that Georgia game because, it, honestly, I feel like Tom Crean, even though he's about to get his ass fired, he put some sort of voodoo magic on that you know home court for them. And they have some sort of like weird reverse curse where they like lose to everybody except for the, the elite teams that come in to Athens, Georgia. Uh, and they they obviously didn't pull off the win against Auburn. They should have. Uh, but man, Georgia against you know top fifteen teams in in Athens is like they have some sort of like they've made a deal with the <laughs> devil. Um, second, I'm going to end on this. I say all, all of what I just said, almost I think forty minutes worth of talk, forty plus minutes. At, at the end of the day, this is the stretch. This is the do or die. And to bring it back to the, the team mantra for Memphis football, we're going to start and end on Memphis football. The team mantra a few years back was show me. 
show me. This is the, this is the put up or shut up. This is the do or die. It's the it's the bottom of the ninth. You got a runner in scoring position and a base hit to, that can win the game. You're in the field. Make the play to end the game. Make the play. Do it. Show me. Because I I want I want to win the game. I want to see the plays being made. I want to see the final results. I want this thing, the positive momentum. I want the positive talk. I want it. Let's do it. Okay. Kenny, you got anything else? I'm good. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a rating and a comment wherever you download your podcast. If you're interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, head over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. We will see you back here next week. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.